You're listening to Strong Runner Chick Radio, where our goal is to educate, empower, and connect female distance runners. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to leave a review on iTunes or any platform of your choosing or share it with someone who might find this episode helpful. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. Special shout out to today's sponsor and the sponsor of this entire Health as a Foundation to Sports series, Athlete Blood Test. They provide individualized, athlete-specific blood analysis to discover your unique nutrition, training, and recovery needs. Join the thousands of enthusiasts, elites, and pros that have already used Athlete Blood Test to help reach their goals. Testing is easy. Simply go to athletebloodtest.com, choose your panel, and schedule an appointment at a conveniently located lab core. Whether you're running your first marathon or competing to win, we're cheering for you, and we can help you get there. Use code SRC15 for 15% off your first panel. Today, I'm excited to introduce Kylie Van Horn, RDN, or Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. She is an endurance sports dietitian who takes a balanced, sustainable approach to fueling the everyday person and athlete. Her mission is to separate facts from fads in the nutrition space, and she works to provide easy solutions to help improve health and performance. Today, Kylie is the founder and owner of sports nutrition business Fly Nutrition, which helps runners, triathletes, and skiers not only learn the how, or not only learn the why, but the how behind fueling for performance. She is also a freelance runner for Trail Runner Magazine and Outside Magazine. Beyond her work in sports nutrition, Kylie can be found running peaks near Aspen, Colorado with her two Australian shepherds and ultra endurance husband, Sean. If you've likely, likely you've heard of Kylie, if you have read Trail Runner Mag articles or Outside Mag, um, she also has a number of other projects in the works, some of which she didn't share here today. So be sure to tune in to Kylie Van Horn, follow her um, amazing Instagram account, incredible um, infographics if you like those. So tons of those to eat up and uh, literally eat up if you're looking at some of the snack combinations she has going on there. And again, be sure to leave a review if you enjoy this episode. Thanks so much and enjoy the show. All right. Uh, welcome to the show, Strong Runner Chicks. Today we have on a special guest, Kylie Van Horn. All of our guests are special in their own way. I always say that, but uh, special guest, Kylie Van Horn, who is a registered dietitian and she is based out in Carbondale, Colorado. She's also the owner of Fly Nutrition LLC, where she really helps athletes around fueling for running specifically, but really all sports. It sounds like she works with Schemo and just various athletes as well. So really excited to dive in with you today, Kylie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited as well. Absolutely. Well, first off, I wanted to say, um, I know you had just told me you're on a Schemo podcast and I was curious if you work with other athletes, like if anyone's tuning in that does running and maybe some other sports as well. Yeah, I, I actually, um, that is one thing about me. I don't just focus on the running side of things. I work with a large population of endurance athletes. So um, triathletes are a big percentage of the people I work with. Um, schemo, Nordic skiing, climbers, uh, mountaineers as well. So try to keep it a little bit varied. Um, I, I love runners because I am one myself, but, uh, but yeah, doing some of the the triathlon, cycling, that sort of thing as well is kind of a nice way to mix it up. Very cool. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit too about your own journey and running. I know that can play a pretty big impact on, um, people's professional choices. And it sounds like maybe it did for you, um, becoming a dietitian. So yeah. How did you initially get started in running and maybe how did that lend itself, um, to your career? Yeah, so I was lucky enough to grow up in a, a running family. My dad is a big runner, um, road marathoner. Um, and I started running when I was probably eight to 10 years old um, and ran all throughout um, college, went to University of Richmond in Virginia and ran competitively there. Um, and then after college, I, I was a pre-veterinary major. And so I was planning on going to veterinary school, but uh, 
just had some last minute uh, things that, you know, emotionally for me, animals are really special. And so I like couldn't, I couldn't handle some aspects of veterinary medicine. And so I kind of backed away from that career choice and pivoted a little bit towards the endurance community. It could be, I think because, you know, it was an area that was such a big part of my life growing up. Um, so I actually worked, uh, as a coach for a while at UNC Charlotte for, um, about a year and a half. And then I moved on to world triathlon corporation in Boulder, um, and worked in the triathlon world, putting on triathlon, uh, as well as working in athlete relations. Um, so while I was doing that, I, I actually decided, I was like, well, I, it would be nice to combine my love of science with endurance sports and so kind of looked into the nutrition side of things um and went to metro state in denver and so i did that while i was working with um, world triathlon corporation and and then took it from there and it was you know becoming a dietitian is is actually a kind of dip, more difficult than maybe people have an understanding of um i i actually didn't even realize the whole process when i got started in it um, just, you do have to get your degree and then you also have to do, um, an unpaid internship for a year and take your RD exam. And so, um, that whole experience, you know, was a big, was a big commitment and, and it is what makes, I think us that are registered dietitians, we're really passionate about educating people in a science-based manner. Um, and, and not that, you know, someone that's, calls themselves a nutritionist it's not that they don't know things but it, it is giving the public an understanding that we really do study this um for a long period of time and put a lot of a lot of effort into it absolutely yeah so much respect for dietitians i probably have mentioned this on the show i originally went to school for dietetics and was sort of i guess kind of uh just decided not to for, for a couple of reasons, but I think one of them was the the internship and the clinical rotations and thinking I'd have to work clinical or food service when really sports dietetics is probably the most interesting to me. And it sounds like to you as well. So it's really cool. You were able to do that and, or incorporate that along the way, um, working with athletes early on. Yeah. I think, you know, unfortunately in the traditional education system, it, it's not emphasized as a, as a mm -hmm. really big option for people. And unless you go in with the mindset that this is what I'm going to do, uh, it, it isn't something that is like advertised in, in, in dietetic programs. Um, mm -hmm. and, and there's not even really a lot of, you know, bachelor's programs in nutrition that are sports focused. So um, it, it's more of like the master's programs that you might have to go get a sports nutrition focus in. Um, but I was one of the ones that was like, I am doing, I, I am going to be a sports dietitian. Uh, I don't care what it takes. Uh, and, and a lot of my my mentors are preceptors in my internship. You know, I didn't even do a sports nutrition rotation there, but they thought I was kind of nuts because they were like, <laughs> okay, whatever, you know, because <laughs> uh -huh. they're in the like public health uh, clinical sector. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's just, that and entrepreneurship is not emphasized enough. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of dietitians, a lot of young uh, nutrition majors have no idea how to like that they could start their own business, you know, and that's yeah. something that I was determined to do as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome that you had that from the get-go, that vision for yourself. And I wanted to jump back if you're comfortable sharing, like through your journey and running, did you have any early on like experiences maybe with nutrition or, um, you know, micro moments that you look back on and maybe that sort of shaped your interest in it or having your own experience with a dietitian or, you know, with nutrition that kind of shaped your passion? Um, I talk about it a little bit on my mission on my website, but, um, there's a lot of, there was a lot of exposure, especially in, uh, high school and then division one athletics to disordered eating and eating disorders. Um, and I'm sure that there's so many runners out there that can relate to my own experiences, 
uh, being around that a lot and also like feeling pressured myself to maybe restrict things or get mixed messages, et cetera, um, in the culture really um, kind of motivated me to want to, in a way, I feel like it's my way of giving back to the endurance community a little bit. And it really um, gives me a lot of joy working with people and seeing them progress and have a, a healthy relationship and understanding with food at the end of our time together. And so um, for me, it's, that's kind of what it's about. Yeah. That's awesome that you're able to feel that sense of giving back to, to like your younger self or to those that are not necessarily younger, but still finding their way through their nutrition journey. Um, and I wanted to ask, are there any common, you know, questions that you get from runners or common, I guess, like topics that people get a little hung up on when it comes to nutrition? There's probably an so entire many. book of, the, yeah. <laughs> of those, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of, a lot of mixed messaging out there in regards to, um, there's a lot of emphasis on carbohydrates from the, from sports dietitians for good reason, because I think there's a lot of misinformation about carbohydrates out there. Um, there's a lot of talk about under eating, under fueling, um, red S those sorts of things. Um, there's, I think, uh, fueling during workouts is, is relatively misunderstood, especially for those that get into longer events, like 50 milers, hundred milers, like what should I be doing? Um, so, so those kinds of things and then sports specific, uh, nutrition questions as well, you know, triathlon might be a little bit different fueling wise from, uh, your standard running, uh, nutrition and what are some of those challenges that triathletes face that runners might not face, uh, specifically like if you're doing a lot of double workouts in the day or um with your racing the transitions that are involved in the different um kind of specters that you're involved in swim bike run so it's just mm -hmm. you know those kind of the, the list could go on and on but you know those yeah. are just a few things that popped into my head when you mentioned that question so so many things yeah all the things we'll try to cover just a handful today um i wanted to ask too in terms of just kind of your general philosophy i feel like every you know rd has their sort of like maybe it's a quote or maybe it's you know a few pillars of nutrition that you sort of see as like that's kind of sum up how you see fueling for running. Do you have any that you can think of or, or any sort of philosophy around it? Yeah. I mean, I like to like on my Instagram, I have facts, not fads. And I like to present people with, you know, what is the most scientifically sound nutrition information out there? How could this potentially apply to you? How might it not apply to you? You know, trying to help somebody figure out what is apl applicable to me, what is actually um, based in science. And that's not to say that something that's not based in science can't work for someone, but it's when it starts, it, it becomes like this, this fad idea um, that could potentially be damaging long-term in some way to your health or performance where it becomes an issue. Um, and so that's a really big one for me. And then um, fueling, in a way that doesn't have, and I feel like a lot of dietitians in the space are taking this stance that isn't promoting like skinnier is um, better, skinnier is faster, you know, because there is such a big focus um, for me personally, uh, it, from a division one running standpoint, there is always a focus on having a smaller body makes you a better runner. And that's just simply not something that I want people to be focusing on and I want that messaging to change. And so focusing on fueling yourself or feeling good and performing well and shifting that mindset a little bit. And so um, that's something that I really strive with the, the athletes that I'm working with. Hmm. That one is major and one that we, I feel like comes up again and again at strong runner chicks and the community and people that are, you know, reaching out with those struggles and just wondering where to go or how to make those shifts. I mean, it seems almost as much of a, maybe a fueling shift as it does mindset as well, or thinking about how to, 
you know, how does one go about that? Like that process of shifting from, you know, being in a culture or society that's so focused on our body size for performance and, and trying to think beyond that and like feeling perf- for performance. Are there any recommendations you have? Well, I think that, you know, a, con- a lot of athletes come to me wanting to lose weight or change body composition. And, um, what I usually say is, well, let's, let's focus on intentional fueling and making sure that you're doing the right things first. And then if there's changes being seen there, uh, with body weight or composition, which oftentimes are seen because there's not a lot of intentionality in the, the prior nutrition habits that people have formed, then that's great. You know, so you're not having that specific focus on a number on the scale or your body composition, but you actually focus on that fueling for performance piece and those, that intentional fueling. And then those shifts oftentimes then translate to maybe some of these other changes that people want to see. Maybe not though, you know, and maybe you have to, maybe you have, um, a longstanding, like disordered relationship with your body, body image. Um, and that's something that, you know, is a little bit outside of a dietitian's realm where therapists might be able to help more with that. But I do work with some athletes, um, in with, uh, with some few like basic techniques on trying to appreciate your body more and appreciate the things that it provides to you. Um, mm-hmm. rather than focusing on, you know, I look so bad in this outfit or I look so fat or something like that. Um, and so trying to shift that, that focus a little bit as well, um, while you're working on fueling yourself intentionally and properly for performance. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned red S earlier, and I know a lot of that, or it seems a lot of that from the research kind of stems from under fueling, um, or that can be a key component to red S. I just wanted to know a little bit more about that and what like, what does it mean to be underfueled? How would an athlete maybe tell if they are fueling enough? Um, I've heard that question before of like, I don't know if I'm fueling enough and where, where to turn to, to find that out. Yeah. I mean, there's a number of factors that kind of go into the diagnosis of that. Um, so typically we're looking at like, a you know, bone density, um, abnormal menstrual cycle, um, low body fat percentage, um, kind of maybe psychological complications with their relationship with food. Um, there could be deficiencies in vitamins, minerals, uh, hormonal imbalances. Um, so I think it can kind of, there are some standard, those are some of the standard things you look for, but then it's going to be individualized depending on the person. And that's where like working with, a a medical professional or um, a team of professionals with a dietitian or something um, can be a good way to kind of get an official like diagnosis for it. Okay. Yeah, that's super helpful. And along those lines of individualized, I noticed on your website, you mentioned, and I like this term, just creating a personalized nutrition roadmap and how that plays into someone's process of fueling. I think that's really cool to think about it like a, a roadmap for ourselves. And we're not all the same as, you know, the person next to us that's running alongside us. Um, so how do you, and obviously one would be like one work with a dietitian, right. To help this, you know, along this process, but other than that, you know, as someone kind of takes a look within or takes a look at their own roadmap, do you have any tips on how someone might go about this process of figuring out, you know, what foods are working for me, what foods might not be if someone has like an intolerance or, you know, where do they go um, to create that roadmap? And specifically, I'd love to like take a higher look at the whole picture. And then also like on the run, like while you're actually running intra run or, you know, how does someone figure out what's going to work for them on the run? Yeah. And I think when I usually, when I describe the roadmap process to people or when I, I always do that on or establish that on the first session that I have some with someone, we're looking at where's the athlete at currently, what is the end goal um, or goals? Um, and then what are the challenges or like kind of subset areas that are preventing you from reaching that end goal? And so that then determines the roadmap because then those are the, the topics of conversation, 
goals, lifestyle changes, all that kind of stuff that you're, that you're making. Um, and then I usually like to say that there's a lot of foundational nutrition skills that need to be dialed in that affect everything above the foundation. So if, if somebody has, um, low ferritin or something and their iron's low, uh, the initial thought might be, oh, well, I only need to address my, like, I need to take an iron pill, cook with the cast iron skillet, and then, and then look at my iron intake. But ultimately what, what I would suggest is actually starting at the bottom, which is that meal composition. So I oftentimes like to work with athletes on having an understanding around what does my meal composition need to do or how does that change for different training days before then getting into the more specific details on like iron, like specific things that you can do in your daily life for your iron, because all of that interacts with your iron status or interplays mm-hmm. with that iron status. Um, so hopefully that makes sense. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm making a mental note, cast iron skillet. I keep forgetting that. Yeah. I swear my iron is on yeah. the down <laughs> or, or the magic fish. I don't know if you've heard of that. The little like iron fish that you can put in. Oh your- my gosh. Someone mentioned that too. Yeah. The magic <laughs> yeah, fish. Those are, those are good ones too. Um, yeah, that's great. But yeah. It can, that they can increase iron up to like 20% in your food. If you cook with a cast iron skillet or use one of those magic fish things. Okay. Very cool. Thank you for the tip. Uh, I know those are minutia details, but we're also looking, I love how you said, like, it's kind of like these little pebbles and the big picture, right. Of just kind of like an iron pill, isn't going to fix everything as much. Yeah. And that's like one of the reasons why I work with athletes on a three month, uh, basis, like a 12 week process initially, because I actually used to do single sessions. And the problem is, you know, the approach of, oh, let's cram everything into a single session. And then you need to go figure out how to do all of this on your own before our next follow-up, which you may or may not attend. Yeah. Um, so that's where like, I have found uh, having a higher level of accountability for 12 weeks allows for me to cover a bunch of different challenge areas, plus set up goals every week for people so that mm-hmm. they break this down into achievable, um, steps that they're able to build upon every week. So it's like a skill stacking is what I call it. So you build these skills along the way that then that fuel your life for your performance. I like goals. that. Yeah. Skill so. stacking. That's a good way to see it. <laughs> I've stacking. heard of habit stacking. Yeah. Um, and then how that ties into trying to figure out back to your original question, like how can you figure out what works for you for interworkout fueling? Um, I think it goes back to the foundation of what are the found, what are the components of a, a fueling plan? Mm-hmm. And then you can figure out from there, um, what are my targets for those components? Me individually. Mm-hmm. Um, so like when I'm talking components, fluids per hour, Uh, sodium per hour, calories, carbohydrates per hour. And then what are my targets? So everyone's targets are going to be different uh, because it depends on your terrain, the altitude, your body frame size, um, your tolerance levels, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can give guidelines as a starting place and then help guide people to like what would be a best choice for those different categories. And then once you add those pieces, all of those pieces interplay with each other. So like if one thing is off in those three pieces, then that affects all the other things. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like a Jenga, if you like pull a thing and then they all fall down, like that's kind of what happens here. So <laughs> I if- just interviewed a PT who was talking about how it's like a puzzle. So, it is. so in the PT you- world and RDs as well with nutrition, right? Yeah. So if you yeah. remove the sodium piece and you're not mm-hmm. taking in enough sodium per hour, that actually interplays with your ability to utilize carbohydrates that you're taking in with your, with your food or whatever gels, et cetera. And then that can uh, impact your hydration status as well, because then there's a concentration gradient difference in your small intestine. So water gets pulled from the blood plasma into the small intestine. So then that causes dehydration. And then the whole thing like kind of goes downhill. Uh, So, so it's a matter of um, 
you've got to have all three pieces. You've got to figure out what are good um, targets for me per hour. And then you've got to figure out what products are going to work for me practically, as well as mm. what works for my body. So practically meaning, is it practical for you to carry pizza on your long runs to practice that? Um, <laughs> yeah. So some people might say yes, but other people might be like, no, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to carry pizza on my long runs. But then the risk is, okay, if you use pizza in a race and you haven't used it on your long run, is that going to affect you GI wise potentially because you're not used to the pizza. It may or may not affect you in a negative way. So that's why like practicing your fueling plan, getting used to those products ahead of time um, can help you, your gut adapt to the things that you're using. Yeah. Now I don't want to get too into the weeds here and I do want to jump back to iron for vegans and vegetarians or plant-based athletes. But I did want to ask about, you know, as the distances get longer, a lot of runners nowadays are wanting to hit the trails or hit all, you know, get into ultras. Are there considerations beyond, you know, say you do a road half or marathon, you might just use some gels or, you know, pure sugar carbohydrate kind of, you know, drinks or gels. Um, how does one kind of think about solid foods perhaps, or like adding in something like pizza or protein or fats and, you know, what that might look like for, um, as a race gets, you know, X number of hours long, or is that something you consider with time on feed out there? Um, so typically like if you're going for a longer period of time at a slower pace, you're not having quite as much blood diverted away from the GI system. So you can typically handle a little bit, maybe different composition of foods or gels that you're using. Um, so a little bit more protein and fat, maybe then if you were running at a quicker pace uh, for a shorter period of time, um, the overarching theme is don't do anything high fiber. That's for sure. Um, and then with the fat and protein piece, I actually suggest athletes over three hours of running to try to include some protein to help prevent muscle protein breakdown. Um, and that muscle soreness and that's going Mm -hmm. to occur as you run longer. Um, and then fat wise, it really depends on someone's tolerance. Um, I don't suggest doing just like fuel on avocados. Um, as <laughs> I've heard I mean, of that. I have had people do that because of the low carb, high fat, um, movement. Um, but that is not my suggested, um, way for you to get in your energy intake in an ultra endurance event. Um, keeping in mind that carbohydrates are still going to provide you with the mental acuity that you need, as well as, you know, if you're going uphill, et cetera. Uh, that's going to allow for you to continue to be able to push yourself um, because they're the most efficient form of energy production. Yeah. So I don't know if that helps clarify, but um, essentially I would say you have a little bit more leeway when you're running longer as to what you can take in. Um, And then that still is going to be individualized depending on the person, but I would still recommend some carbohydrate um, intake during that time, even if you're doing a bit more protein and fat. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Super helpful. Um, I wanted to just jump back quickly to us. We covered iron just a little bit there. And what are some considerations, you know, along those lines for an athlete who might be plant-based or identify as vegan vegetarian? Um, so when we're looking at the vegan vegetarian athlete, typically your plant-based sources of iron are going to be absorbed. It's the non-heme form of iron. So it is going to have a lower absorption rate. So when we're looking at recommendations for iron intake from food, I usually like to make them higher, especially for, um, female, uh, runners that are menstruating. Um, so we're looking at, um, the standard rec is about 18 milligrams a day. Um, so if you're plant-based, um, menstruating, then I even push it up to 26 to 30 milligrams of intake from food per day. Um, because we're looking at about 10% absorption. If you were to look at, 
plant-based sources of iron versus 30% absorption from heme animal uh, sources of iron. Um, you can enhance iron absorption by, um, you know, a lot of plant-based foods are going to contain vitamin C as well, but having vitamin C there on board is helpful. Like we said, the magic fish or the cast iron skillet. Um, and then I think a big one that a lot of people miss out on is the, if they're taking an iron supplement, um, the timing of that supplement is important. So not taking it with things, um, like your calcium containing foods, trying to take it with vitamin C and then moving or shifting when you're taking it to earlier in the day. Um, mm -hmm. So if you take it in the evening, that's probably not the best time to maximize absorption. Okay. Well, I think you really outlined too, just as you're speaking, the need to meet with an RD or someone who knows how these, right? Because it's such a science of figuring out, well, if I take this and then this affects this, there's so many variables to think about. And I'm sure a lot of us don't consider that, or maybe we miss the boat about, oh, I took it with calcium and I should have, you know, thought about vitamin C. I well, once heard... <laughs> I was yeah, just I mean, going to say, tough, yeah, the tough part is that, um, you know, even my most, I would say those that research the most that I work with, uh, they still have a hard time because they don't know what applies to them and they don't know how to apply that information to them. So how do you actually create a lifestyle change with this information? And that's where a sports dietitian can really help you because um, we can look at your day and we can evaluate, gain awareness around what does that look like? And then how do we uh, adjust what you're currently doing to better help you kind of get to where you want to be? And that is individualized. Like that is not, that is not a thing that you can just say like, everyone needs to take this one supplement at this time of day and do this thing, you know, it, that doesn't apply to everyone. I work with paramedics that work 20 hour shifts. Like how does that, you know, how is their routine going to differ eating wise? Um, or, you know, some people that are, uh, you know, an attorney that's working 18 hour shift or something. And then they're like, have a 20 minute break to eat. So it's just like those mm -hmm. kind of little things that everyone has, their own challenges. And so how do you overcome some of those challenges? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of factors to think about there. And I wanted to just along those lines, ask if, uh, you know, what are a few things, whether this is like topics or, you know, fueling considerations that athletes aren't thinking about enough and maybe where could they be, you know, better, uh, better putting their energy? Like, are there areas as runners where we're spending too much time worried about versus areas that we're not thinking enough about in general that you're noticing? Yeah, I think there's a lot of emphasis on supplements. There always are a lot of, and there always is a lot of influence like on supplements and using those as a way to get in your nutrition or solve this issue or make you better. Um, and not enough uh, kind of focus on the foundational nutrition skills that I was talking about earlier, which include meal composition, having an understanding of how to change that for different training days, which is key. If you're eating the same every day and you're training different amounts, I would say that's not helping your performance. Um, and, then, um, and then I would say not that like, biomarkers aren't important like blood work and things there's a lot of focus on like what's your iron level what's your um what is your like inflammation level your crp levels your mm -hmm. cholesterol all those things they're important because they do give a picture of what is going on inside the body but then what i t find tends to happen is there's a focus on this singular thing and like how do i Im improve this right. singular thing versus how do I improve my overall nutrition is more than you should be looking at the whole person, you know, like it should be mm -hmm. your hydration, your sleep, your stress, your, all of these different areas impact your overall performance. Even if it doesn't sound like it is overall nutrition related, it's all intertwined because sleep impacts hunger and all that kind of stuff. Hydration impacts hunger. 
Um, so when I'm working with someone that is an emphasis, like it's not just here's your list of iron containing foods and here's this singular thing that will help with inflammation because there's so many different things that can impact those those different biomarkers or um, areas of health and performance. Yeah. Uh, so kind of taking that step out. Big mm-hmm. picture. Like taking a big picture effect or focus and then taking the smaller picture. So mm-hmm. you go from the bottom and then you go to the top. Okay. That's super helpful. Yeah. I think that outlines it well. Um, we've had another listener question and I noticed this is just a call out on Kylie's website. Um, fly nutrition, fly nutrition.org. I uh, wanted to make sure we get that right. She has a number of different articles and also writes for trail runner or outside uh, magazine as well. And one of them was about just with the winter being here, right. Hydrating through the winter. Um, and I just wanted to ask you briefly, since we had a listener question come through about how should one be thinking about hydrating when it pertains to maybe a drier climate versus like humid climate. And then same with the weather as we get into winter versus summer. Um, so it can be, a little, it can be a little bit complicated. I think the, again, looking at the overarching theme of everyone's going to have their individualized sweat rate and kind of determining maybe what that looks like in the winter months and the summer months on your own could be a good thing to try. Um, so how an easy way to try and do that, it's not hundred percent accurate, but you can weigh yourself before an hour run and then weigh yourself after, and then do that three times in a similar climate and take the average of those losses. And that's kind of your sweat rate per hour then. Um, and then that can give you a kind of a baseline of where to start. I usually say trying to get in 75, at least 75% uh, per hour of those losses is a good target. Um, but when we look at, you know, winter versus summer, if we were to just, if we were to not do any of that testing, that type of like kind of weighing, because, you know, some people can't get, don't want to get on scales anyways, because it makes them mm-hmm. not feel great about themselves, then, um, you know, starting with a, maybe you start at 16 to 20 ounces per hour, cause that's a general standard recommendation. Um, and then looking at it from the perspective of, um, in a, in a more humid climate or a hotter climate, you're typically going to be, want to be at a little bit higher end of that range. Um, in a, in a higher altitude situation, you would want to be at the higher end of that range as well. And then if you're in a colder environment, you actually still need, oftentimes cold air is drier and you end up, when you breathe in that air, your lungs like warm it and moisturize it. And then you breathe out and you lose some hydrate or you lose fluids through that breathing out process. So Um, You are actually, you're sweating a bit and you wear a lot of layers too. So that can cause more sweat loss than we realize. And then you lose some through that respiration. And so I don't, you can go a little bit lower, but I don't recommend going too much lower than, you know, that 16 ounces. So Mm -hmm. on the lower end. Um, Now, if you're, again, it depends on frame size, et cetera, too. So like very small frame runners um, might be, 12 to 16 ounces versus 16 to 20. Um, so I think there needs to be a little bit of leeway there. It can't be just standardized everyone 16 to 20 ounces. Um, but it's a good starting place for people, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and I think that covered most of your question. Yeah, that was a good comprehensive answer. I think there's a lot that goes into it. Like you said, a lot to consider and just because it's drier or colder doesn't mean we need less, you know, necessarily. So exactly. And that's a big, you know, often in the winter thirst is actually reduced because your body is using, um, it's putting a lot of its energy towards your core and to try and keep you warm and that affects your thirst response. So Uh you can't really rely on thirst as much in the winter. And it kind of has to be a little bit more of an intentional, like 
forced thing, even I though was you about to say it feels a little forced at times. I have my yeah. water bottle next to me, but it's like, why am I not thirsty? <laughs> it's yeah, almost exactly. like kind of bothers me sometimes. Like I want to be, you know, it's when your body doesn't call for it, it's hard to, it's like the listen to your body concept. And I, I don't know, that's a whole other topic, but the concept of like listening to your body, but also knowing, you know, that if you've only had a cup of water and it's 5 PM, maybe that's not, yeah, yeah the best thing. Yeah. Either. And I think you're probably thinking of like the idea of mindful eating yeah. or fueling, mindful fueling mm -hmm. and listening to your body for those like hunger and fullness cues, as well right. as like thirst response. And when we're looking at it from, if we want to give it a term, there's like biological hunger and then there is practical hunger or biological thirst and practical thirst. And um, in these different situations, motivating yourself a little bit by using those terms, because those are our actual things that are used in our language in the professional language mm -hmm. to try to um, get people to have an understanding that like there are alterations in thirst in these conditions. There are alterations in hunger. Um, if you're running a lot or training a lot that alters hunger and fullness hormones. Mm -hmm. So you need to be more intentional about your fueling on that day, even if you're not hungry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good call out too, for those that feel that like appetite suppression, maybe post run or post activity, but you still need to eat and fuel, like you said. So, um, as we wrap up here, I wanted to kind of jump back to, you know, early on in your running journey, or maybe to like a younger runner that's listening. Is there any advice you would give to your younger self, maybe as it pertains to fueling and running? I wish that I had some of the sports dietitians in this space uh, for runners and endurance athletes that are out there today, because um, I think that it's really easy to be influenced by, um, I'm not saying that coaches don't know what they're talking about, but um, you know, some coaches that might think that like restricting certain things is better, um, which then turns into an unhealthy relationship with food. Um, and trying not to focus so much. I know it's easier said than done, but trying not to focus so much on comparison of your body to someone else's body and, um, how like fast of a runner that would make you, um, because you can fuel yourself well and, and be, be strong and, and be just as fast as, um, someone else that, and, and be a healthier in the long term too. Yeah. Well said. Um, what is currently bringing you joy, maybe outside of running and work, or you can share a passion that relates to it. Uh, my dogs. <laughs> no, I have two Australian shepherds and oh. I, if whoever follows me on Instagram probably knows that I am, they're like a very integral part of my life. And, um, I'm getting into agility with one of them. And that's like a new space for me. Like dog performance sports. Um, so it's kind of a fun thing because I have no idea what I'm doing. And <laughs> it's a challenge um, to kind of learn how to communicate with your with your dog and, and uh, build that relationship with them to, but it's also like kind of brings out that competitiveness a little bit too. Yeah. Oh, that's really, really fun. fun. I have a golden doodle and he, I swear, can jump like five plus feet in the air and like, he'll just he'll jump and jump up to things. Like we have a backyard that has two levels and they're separated by at least four or five feet. And he just jumps it like it's nothing. So maybe he yeah, that's like my, too. my Aussie, my younger yeah. Aussie is going to do the agility. He has like serious springs in his feet and it's, it's just like amazing. Boing, boing, boing. Just it's natural. Like, wow. This yeah. is so cool. You know? And, and I think animals are really fascinating. Like, like I said, I grew up wanting to be a veterinarian and um, still am fascinated by animals and their, um, kind of emotional intelligence and that sort of thing. And, and it's really cool being able to do things with them, train them. Like it's really rewarding, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Love it. Um, anything in terms of, I guess, like work-related projects or you had said you had a new RD, anything you want to share, 
um, as this episode, it'll be released in January. So you probably can't share everything exciting that's happening on your end, but any, any fun projects you're excited about. Yeah, my, I'm bringing, or I'm bringing, I just brought on a new art, uh, sports RD. Her name's Emily and she has experience in the eating disorder world. She works as a, um, a little bit as an outpatient eating disorder dietitian right now. And she also works in a hospital, um, but she's going to start working with athletes uh, for fly nutrition, which has been, which is going to be really nice. Um, I am so excited to have her join me. And then that will also allow for me, I really enjoy freelance writing. So I um, have been able to work on some fun projects with Trail Runner and um, am looking to work more. I've worked a little bit with women's running and they want me to write more for them as well. Um, so uh, expanding in that space as well as, you know, other opportunities in the writing space. So, um, so yeah, I am really excited about the opportunities that my business and then me uh, personally, I, I really like, uh, communicating through the written word. And so that will be really fun to be able to pursue that a little bit more next year too. That's awesome. Yeah. It's uh, exciting getting, I'm just dipping my toes into the waters with writing a little more, but um, can see you have such a passion for it and a talent as well. So again, check out, and it sounds like on, on not only trail runner magazine now, but women's running as well, other publications. Yeah. I write, yeah. Yeah, I write uh, women's running. I contribute to outside occasionally. And then I write for, um, occasionally I'll do like special pieces for brands like gnarly nutrition is one that I write pretty regularly for their blog. And it's really cool. Cause they only have RDs write for the right nutrition articles for them. So, um, I'm pretty selective. Like if I write for a brand, um, on like what their mission is and everything, but, um, but yeah, they have some really educational science-based things that, um, I've written for them too. Yeah. Very cool. So definitely check those out. Thanks for sharing all of it. Um, lastly, I have one more question before how listeners can connect with you. What does being a strong runner chick mean to you? I would say, (laughs) um, putting yourself out there outside of your comfort zone and while doing so, uh, supporting your overall mental and physical health with proper nutrition and taking care of yourself. Yeah. Well said. Um, and then listeners that would like to connect with you, work with you, or even work with, you know, your team at fly nutrition, what's the best way to do that and to follow along with your Aussies. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at fly nutrition three, and that's one of my main areas that I focus on. I do a lot of infographics. Um, so if people follow me on there, they already know, like I do them well, try to try <laughs> do to you do create this. those. I do along with my virtual assistant, who is my sister actually. Oh, um, cool. but I have a, a minor in studio art. So I, um, wow. graphic okay. design is kind of like something that I like doing. So the Instagram is really nice. Cause then it's, you know, a creator's side of things. Um, uh-huh. and so, and might dabble in reels, but I haven't gotten into that as much yet. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, so fly nutrition three on Instagram. And then, um, I have an endurance sports nutrition, private Facebook group, um, fly nutrition, endurance sports nutrition community, where, I'm going to be developing that more in 2022. I have a bunch of people in there right now and we do a little bit, it's all endurance athletes. So some discussion around nutrition. Um, and then I want to do a lot of, um, a lot more education and live sessions in there in 2022 with Emily's help. So that's on the docket. Um, and then, um, what else? My website is flynutrition.org. Um, and, oh, I would, would love to do one little shout out for, um, I, I work with elevate women's, uh, OCR platform. Um, oh it's, yeah. It's really cool. I'm part of that too. Go Nicole yeah, so Miracle and the whole group. Yeah. yeah, it's free, but it's really cool. Cause, 
Um, Nicole has connected with a lot of really great professionals in the endurance space. And we do a lot of blog posts and free talks and things like that. And so it's a really great um, way to connect in the space. I just, I want to throw that out there because I think it's a really, they have a really great mission and Mm -hmm. I think they're doing really good things. So yeah, I love that shout out. They're awesome. So, and Nicole was on several episodes ago, so I'll have to find where that is and link it in the show notes, but really cool human and lots of cool things going on in that whole space. So I'm glad you're a part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. Have you done an OCR or have any? No, I have not done OCR, (laughs) but I have friends in the space. And Nicole is one of, like, I knew Nicole when I lived in Boulder back in 09. She was like one of my, one of the people that I knew there. Um, And she asked me if I would want to be a part of their dream team, which is a, a group of professionals that's then supporting. Um, women that want to get into OCR and don't necessarily have the sponsorship or backing to do that. So um, me, along with another dietitian and then some coaches, mental health professionals, we work with individuals that get the, uh, the dream team scholarships throughout the year. Um, and it's a really, really cool way to kind of support growth in the space. Um, but no, I haven't done OCR. I've done Nordic and schemo races. Before, yeah, but that's not, really cool. But not- oh, I just love seeing people's reactions if they love it or hate it. I mean, some people have this visceral like, oh, no, never. So I mean, it's, you know, it's always an experience. But I yeah. mean, it's, I think it's that part of putting yourself outside of the, your comfort zone. Oh, I yeah, definitely to be a strong runner chick. And it's not that you have to go and do OCR or Nordic or schema or something it's, are you challenging yourself in a way that is meaningful to you? And mm-hmm. so that could be doing a marathon in the trail or something, or, yeah. you know, I think there's so much emphasis on a 50 or a hundred miler, but there's other mm-hmm. really um, challenging things that you can do um, personally to, in the running space, a cool route that you've been eyeing or whatever as well. Mm-hmm. So doesn't necessarily have to be based around like a specific race distance. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Kylie. This was a great episode, super valuable tips here for runners and fueling. Um, and I encourage everybody to reach out to, uh, to Kylie at fly nutrition, if you're interested in working together, or, you know, working with her team on your fueling. So thanks so much thank again. You. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the strong runner chicks radio. Do us a favor and leave a review in iTunes to help spread awareness and foster the SRC community. Additionally, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Strong Run Chicks.